0: Is anybody else out there a wee bit afraid, or maybe a big bit afraid but ashamed to admit it? Of wait for it, eating the bruise on a banana. (laughs) I, I don't. Well, I do know why I'm thinking about this, and it's because I've discovered that I've put on a stone. I've doubled my last update. I had put on a half a stone during the lockdown, so and I stepped on the scales the other day in the hope. The cheeky hope that i might have lost a pound or two and how i'll be here is is you know good and um no the scales basically just said fat bastard, get off me <laughs> i can't believe it a whole stone 14 actually it was about 15 pounds because it was just over a stone but sure that's neither here nor there so basically i'm trying to eat more fruit and lay off the cookies and That's how I came to this realisation that all my life I've had this sort of subtle fear of eating the bruise on a banana. Like, why? I mean, so I forced myself to do it there. You know, just to eat it because I'm a greedy bitch these days and because it isn't a cookie, I don't want to waste it. And, yeah, like, I've gave birth. I've had two pretty major surgeries in order to deliver children into this world and yet I'm still afraid to eat the bruise on a banana Know that wee brown bit that just looks creepy? I think in the back of my head somewhere I imagine that it's where insects have burrowed into it when really it's just got squished by Curtis's beer whenever I've put it in the shopping bag because everybody um, that packs their shopping properly is just wasting their time I just throw everything into that bag haphazard and as long as it makes it in It's grand I do try not to squish the bread though Um Because history has taught me That it won't go in the toaster properly When it's been You know, squeezed into a flat mess By a big Tub of comfort Fabric softener Um Yeah, is this me descending Into true madness This train of thought I think it is Um I do this every week, and I think, do you know what? That's just rambling gibberish. I think I'm going to cut that out of the podcast, and then I'm too lazy to, so I don't. So I leave all the random gibberish in. But yeah, seriously, think of the most. If you are one of those people that it doesn't like eating the bruise on a banana or the wee tip bit as well, that looks like there's a wee stinger in it. <laughs> you know the end of the banana, and you just—it's kind of the bit that you you pick off. <laughs> when you're eating it because it looks like a stinger like a wasp sting think of the most scary thing that you've ever done in your life and then compare that to your fear of eating the bruise on a banana maybe just a it might help you in the future you might be a bruise eater who knows, help yourself So how about we make this week's podcast all about fears and what your fears are? Um, because we're living in a time where everybody is quite fearful, aren't they? I mean, we're so afraid to even stand next to each other in the shops because we might catch an illness, then pass it on to somebody else and they'll die. And that's a bit deep. But... um What about the silly fears that you inherit or that you, like, develop in your life, you know? Like, I have a fear of spiders. I am terrified of spiders. And I don't know exactly, you know, how I became afraid. I remember my sister waking me up in the middle of the night when we were kids and we shared a room. And she said to me, Bruna, there's a spider in here. We have to leave. It was almost... (laughs) I mean, the way I'm saying it, it sounds like, you know, we're fucking refugees being walking in the middle of the night and moved country. But no, it was like, (laughs) there's a spider in this room. We need to go and sleep in the living room. And I remember thinking, we need to go. Why don't you go? And she was like, Bruno quick, get out. And I left with her. And ever since then, I've been like mortally afraid of spiders. It's probably because it's been ingrained in me that like, I don't know, they might attack you in your sleep. Crawl up your nose or into your ears, you know, the worst type of things. (laughs) And it's probably best to focus on those kind of fears rather than actual, you know, life or death fears, because those are quite serious, you know, and that does not make us a good podcast. But then again, I suppose my fears are actually funny when i tell you how they manifest um i don't know if i've mentioned before that i have ocd and basically it is obsessive compulsive disorder and it was really really bad when it first came around and started manifesting um when it was sort of like a preteen and basically what this is is it's um people associate ocd with you know oh I just need to have a really nice clean house and everything has to be in its place and oh, I just like to polish the Denby crockery you know three times a day and I suppose that is a form of OCD but to me that'd be mild. I mean I'd break your arm for that kind of OCD. My OCD is as I like to refer to it Jack Nicholson's as good as it gets OCD don't step on the cracks or you'll break your mama's back OCD I have to switch this light switch on and off 15 times or else my whole family will die. OCD. (laughs) And I'm laughing because when you think about it and say it out loud, it sounds absolutely ridiculous. Um, And there are times when it's not as bad now because I know what it is. You know, when I was a kid and I first had these thoughts, reoccurring sort of distressing thoughts. You know, everybody in your family is going to die Basically, the way it works is if I was just, say I was switching on a light switch and I touched that light switch and a thought came into my head that was negative, um, like my mummy's going to die. um, Basically, I would have to go back to where I was and turn the light switch on and off again and sort of unthink that thought so that it wouldn't happen. So basically, I felt that I had the power in my head to make things happen. I suppose that's what it boils down to. And uh, a nice psychologist put it at one stage this way. He said, well then, if you can, you know, if your thoughts can have an effect on the real world, how come you haven't won the lottery yet? So, (laughs) yeah, if you try and put it in that perspective. But then that's what kind of frightens me because there's these people who are all, think your way to success and, you know, positive output and what you think you can manifest in real life and I'm like dude I'm trying not to carry on that stream of thought, I wonder would you fuck off <laughs> you know? Um, so it's a hard world living in times where you're trying to be positive and grateful and think that you know if I think these things you can think them into existence while also trying to tell yourself that your thoughts have absolutely no effect on real life it's a bit of a conundrum but it is the crazy thing, I mean whenever I was a kid and I didn't know what it was, uh, it was really frightening and I had a resentment toward doctors and everything up until, you know, quite recently as an adult when I had to sit down and think about things that are resented. um, Because I used to wonder why I was trailed from doctor to doctor by my ma and not one of them was able to turn around and say, listen, she has OCD, it's a stress related disorder and, you know, it can lead to your child using coping mechanisms for stress. You know, basically, nobody said that to me and said, listen, what you're thinking isn't real. You're grand. And that really fucking pissed me off because it was only through reading and research that I kind of found this out myself. And then later on in life, when I went to see a counsellor, they were able to diagnose it and say, yeah, that's what, it, that's what you have. And... At that point, I was like, "Yeah, I've known this for years, but thanks for saving me all that childhood drama." <laughs> um, uh, again, very deep, but at the same time, the anxiety from an objective point of view, or when you're, you know, just speaking about these thoughts in your head, can be absolutely hilarious. Because if you allow yourself to go too deeply into your head, things can get pretty serious and dark and you know I I have I ruminate on things that's a side effect of my OCD and now as an adult you know I don't think it would change the OCD despite the fact that I spent all my teenage years wishing that I didn't have it but I kind of um made peace with it because I realized that these ruminations these you know deep thoughts that I have I can sit and think about the way that a person says a sentence for you know half an hour and you know think about construct all these conversations in my head that you know could happen or might happen or it would be nice if they happened you know on stage or whatever and so that is I suppose where my um love of writing comes from and me ability to do it. So I wouldn't change that now. But back whenever I was a kid. Pacing the fucking floors. And Mama called me a mumbly. <laughs> what is wrong with you? You're acting like a mumbly. Yeah I would have changed it then. But uh. I talk about that in my stand up set. And I kind of don't really want to talk about it too much. Because I need to keep doing that set. <laughs> Come and see me live. And uh you can hear more about my madness. But um. It's just interesting because, you know, I've been on Reddit and there's been a few people on Reddit that have written uh posts where they're really, really disturbed about certain thoughts that they've been having or, you know and they they haven't realized that it's O C D and they're terrified. So I felt it was kind of, you know, my duty to be be the doctor and go go to your doctor <laughs> I think you're at OCD mate, go to your doctor, you're grand, you know, <laughs> you'll be grand. A wee dose of fluoxetine and it'll all settle back into the background and only pop up occasionally whenever you're really fucking stressed. But, um, no, uh, life's pretty good. In the lockdown so far, I have, um, this week I tried to dye my own hair and I'm sorry, Jackie, if you're listening. Because my cousin Jacqueline is the most gifted and talented hair stylist and I don't really think of, you know, my mane as mine. I think of it as Jacqueline's and therefore if I do anything to it, I anticipate that she might kill me. <laughs> but the greys were too much. I mean, I, it, it was getting insane. The amount of grey hairs, new grey hairs I might add, that had never been there before. That sprung up I mean I was going to come out of this This lockdown could end tomorrow And if I didn't dye my hair I'd be walking out that front door looking like a fucking 70 year old woman People would be going Jesus The lockdown really aged Brona didn't it (laughs) So I ordered online This nice little dye kit that supposedly They pre-mix for you for your colour and everything And I did it myself and it's alright It's not great like But it's alright it'll do um. Besides they're not really going to be looking at my hair When they look at the fact that they're like Jesus Bruna's, Bruna's gained a few LBs During the lockdown I'm sure she didn't have any trouble Getting her fucking groceries delivered <laughs> A stone guys A stone So I've been running I was running And Just trying to follow a sort of slimming world loosely in my head because now this is going to be my new obsession I tend to obsess over things Um, Curtis has pointed out as well that like I go hell for leather at some things like even if I like a certain flavour of yoghurt I mean I will eat that flavour day in day out for about four weeks and then I'll never want to see it again Basically, I will run everything into the ground until I'm sick of it. And it's kind of a good metaphor for my life. (laughs) I mean, even drinking alcohol went the same way. And um, I'm coming up on four years sober, which is amazing, I suppose, um, because it's went by really, really quickly. And it's been the best four years of my life. Mainly because I can remember it all. And... um, I'm not saying that, you know, every time I drank, I get into trouble. But any time I get into trouble, I was drunk. That old chestnut. Um. So, yeah, now that I don't have anything else to fuss over, it's going to be my weight um, and trying to get healthy. Because I'm increasingly aware of the fact that I am no longer a young girl. And um. I suppose I'm lucky that I've made it to this age because <laughs> everything was against me. <laughs> I'm surprised my own ma didn't kill me. Um, Now I come to think about it, I uh, had this, I had a child psychologist. Can you believe it? Can you actually believe it? <laughs> you probably can Um, Because I used to be really like, I don't know. I don't actually know. I must ask my ma why he was around. You called him Dr. Wilson. And um, supposedly he came to the conclusion that I was understimulated because I was a clever kid. Um, Look at that, look at that. Doesn't that sound like an awful compliment to me? But um, it was never posed that way to me. It was, you're a fucking squealing tantrum mess. Here's a jigsaw puzzle. Do it. And... (laughs) Yeah, basically, like, he observed me in these situations and he was saying, like, yeah, she solves all those puzzles for her age too quickly and, you know, give her something else to do. But I really, really hated that man. Whenever I was a little, like, I must have been a toddler, I was really, really afraid of him. And I don't know why, because my mummy says that, like, he was the nicest man, that he was so lovely. Maybe it's because he tried to make me be good. And that was a Terrafan prospect to me. <laughs> I remember he actually um brought along these toys. And do you remember the things? It's like a little box. And it has all of these wooden shapes. Like circles, squares, triangles. And you have to just slot them in their places. And um, I remember there used to be a Levi's advertisement. Where there was this little kid. And he like hammered the score block into the triangle shaped hole and it was like Levi's don't fit the mold you know and um, I remember our Lorraine actually turning around to me as kids and going there's you Bruna because <laughs> that was like something I would have done but I didn't do that I actually took his toys this is one of my other earliest memories and it exists in Twinbrook the same place where I borrowed the onion off the neighbor Um I took all of his toys upstairs and I flushed them down the toilet or tried to because the sort of shady outro of that memory is of my ma coming up the stairs and trying to fish those blocks out of the toilet. Um, I just used to have this thing about flushing things down the toilet. I was absolutely terrified of my Aunt Carl as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Aunt Carl. And um, at one stage, I remember... um. I think it was about, I must have only been about three, you know, the age where you're getting potty trained. And I think I wet my pants waiting to get into the toilet. Whenever she came out, I went into the toilet and I was so afraid of her finding out that I'd wet my pants that I flushed them down the toilet. This little tiny pair of knickers. um, <laughs> And Carl. And you know, funnily enough, she's she's a great gal. Like, I just, I don't know why. You know the way you just, whenever you're a kid, you kind of fear It's a strange thing. You can't explain it. You know what I mean? I just didn't want to get into trouble for anything. But at the same time, I didn't want to be good. (laughs) I just wanted to go nuts and get away with it. Which I suppose, you know, everybody's... Well, it's my goal in life. Freedom's just another word for nothing else to lose. Isn't that what they say? Well, that's what the song says. (laughs) And again, I ramble. I ramble and laugh at myself. I'm going to be one of those wee pished out old ladies in the nursing home just talking to myself, you know. Holding up an invisible microphone in front of me and they'll be like, yeah, back in the day she used to do that. She's just fucking nuts now. <laughs> just ignore her in the corner. She just talks about herself. She'll be grand. I'm kind of afraid of that too. Yeah, that, everybody fears growing old, don't they? Um. Whenever I was younger, I used to hope that by the time I grew old, there would be a cure for oldness. Uh, and there kind of is now in the form of Botox and all that shit. Um, Whoever Sharn Osborne's surgeon is, I mean, I need to get their number because they have done a great job on her. You know, her face moves in a way where it's supposed to move, but obviously it's still a bit frozen. Um, But she's, she's doing pretty good. Bordering on what um the ladies of, you know, the nice end of London call uh, TFF, which means too far face. Supposedly, like, this is how they're running in those circles. Like, they know, they even have, like, abbreviated slang for when somebody has gone too far with the Botox. Uh, have you seen Shirley recently? Oh, she's got a terrible case of TFF. Yes, she's just went to uh, Mabea for a few months until the botulin toxin wears off. <laughs> um, I don't think I'll ever have enough money to have TFF, but uh, I'll just grow old disgracefully, you know, and like that little poem that's about somewhere, it's called I'll Wear Purple or something like that. And it's basically about a, Uh, when I'm old I'll wear purple and hit people with my walking stick and I'm going to be one of those kind of adults because they get away with everything so I suppose I should really look forward to getting old because you get away with murder and everybody just thinks it's adorable either that or they put you in the sanitarium but um, I'll just make sure I've bought my own house by then and nobody can throw me out and I'll be one of them wee women that you know they're bulldozing the whole street, and my house is the last one standing. And I, yeah, basically, I'm thinking of up the the movie up. <laughs> oh, Jesus, I'm rambling again. But hey, have a wee think about like what is the ideal um old age for you? Like I, you know, as long as a don't get dementia as I say this is my dementia diary Um, I probably will though because it's just on top of all the other mental illnesses I have why the fuck shouldn't I get dementia Um, but if I do you know I have these things these little recordings to remind me of how crazy I was anyway and so it doesn't really make a difference that I think the fucking the army's coming to get me (laughs) Is that not what like, people with dementia always think as well? There's people coming to... Oh, it's terrible. It's an awful old illness. I mean, my granny had it. And it's... You know, the best thing to do is just... Just don't tell them that the people who they're asking for are dead. Just be like, yeah, they're on their way. Honestly, top tip with people for dementia. Just try and make out like everything's normal. There's no point in correcting them. Because five minutes later, they're going to forget again. And they're going to ask again. And imagine being told... Like 15 times a day for what seems like the first time that your husband's dead. You know, you don't do it. You just say, ah, he's grand. He's an old bastard anyway. He's down the pub. Fuck's sake as usual. You'll see him soon. <laughs> just do that to me and I'll be grand. But I must make a retraction Um, for something that I said. I did mention that there's sort of a cure for oldness in the form of cosmetic surgery, but that's not a cure for oldness, is it? That's just the physical side, the aesthetic part of growing old, Um, not the mental side. But then, you know what? It's the fear of not being taken seriously anymore. You know, the wee old people that say things and they can say, like, the most profound, you know, words of wisdom and people just go, yeah, yeah. Yeah, talking really loudly to you, the way people who can't speak a foreign language speak English, you know, in the hope that the other person will understand them. Do you want a cup of tea? You know, speaking to you like you're an absolute idiot. And that's what I'm afraid of. I want to be sprightly. In fact, when I was working um, and teaching creative writing classes with elderly people, um, I would go into folds and nursing homes and things like that and there was this amazing woman and she was 83 and she was just so sprightly, looked after her husband even though he was in the nursing home and walked to the top of this big hill and down again every single day and I said to her, Kitty, you're amazing. Like, you're so sprightly. How do you keep so well, you know? And she went, at 83, you mean? And I said, yes. And she said, here's the secret, love. Lots of sex. (laughs) Do you know what? It really startled me. I am in no way prudish, but I just laughed with her. And I thought, yeah, now I know why you're making that trip up and down to the nursing home every day. (laughs) You know? The old never leave, she does it. Uh, But I hope it doesn't. I mean, I'm sure if it does, I'll not miss it. But I want to be like her. I want to be like Kitty when I'm 83. Still bouncing about and, you know, walking around and being coherent and shit. Well, actually, I would have to learn to be coherent first in order to maintain that skill. But yeah, everybody should be more like Kitty. She was absolutely amazing. And you know something? She didn't have an easy life either, you know, with children dying and all of that. But she still had such a positive attitude. And um, that's the kind of person that I aspire to be. Because there's some miserable fucking people out there who just... Do you know those people and you're passing them on the street and you say, like, for example, All right, John, what about you? And... It's just meant as a greeting. It's a greeting. You know, German people who tend to be very economical with their language. I remember speaking to a German person. They were saying that they didn't understand why we greeted each other that way. You know, "Hi, are you? What you doing? Instead of just saying hello when you were passing. Um, but it's the the idea that we say these things. but don't expect a response. Do you know what I mean? What about you? Hi, Grant. And you walk on. But then you get the Johns or whatever of the world and you're like, all right, John, what about you? And he stops you and goes, well, actually, I was at the doctor's last week and he told me that I have arthritis in my left finger on, uh, you know, my index finger. And I've been getting this terrible hit. And you're like, oh, for Jesus Christ, John, I don't, didn't actually care. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, 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 oh, that's terrible. Sorry about that, John, you know. Your life's terrible. <laughs> you know, people who actually enjoy when there's something wrong with them. Do you ever see those people? You know, they relish being ill or having some bad news to report. They're the first people that like open the newspaper every day to see who they know that's dead. <laughs> now that isn't necessarily one of the main symptoms because there's a lot of people. I don't know if this is just typically an Irish thing. But there's a lot of people around here, like, for example, my own family, who open the paper and, you know, check who's dead. And (laughs) it's kind of a, it's a good way for the, the local alcoholics to get out for a drink for the day. They'll see whose funeral's on that day. Used to know a man that did that. Um. See whose funeral's on every day and just be like, I knew him once upon a time. May as well go to the funeral and go for an old drink after, you know. (laughs) Um, So it's a social thing, death. Um, But yeah, it's just one of those things that Irish people do. I remember actually my pops looking up the the paper before and he says, just checking the paper to see if I'm dead yet. (laughs) And it made me laugh because... God forbid when the day comes that he does pass on I'm going to look up his name in the Irish news and say there you are paps. You know and I sure as hell know that his spirit's going to be looking over my shoulder feeling really proud at seeing his own name in the paper. Um, I love a good week and that sounds terrible but this is where I think um, this COVID epidemic is or pandemic sorry is really going to be very um negative for our community in particular because as Irish people we still wake our own dead from the house um my husband's from London and the way that he was describing uh the process of death and funeral it seemed very odd to me you know that when somebody dies you just take the body away and you don't see them ever again and it might be as much as 3 weeks to you, a month later that you show up at the chapel and there's the coffin there for their funeral. Um, whereas he does agree that he, he likes the way that we do it. You know, we, whenever somebody dies, it is very tragic. And sometimes if it's really, really sudden, you know, it's, it's terrible. But, um, say we old person dies and, you know, they've been sick for a long time. Uh, they get taken away by The Undertaker and then they get brought back usually that later that day um, and then all of the family gather at the house and people come and visit. I tell you what, Irish women are expert wakers. Right? I've been having this conversation with Eva before and you know, speaking about it kind of makes me proud because <laughs> we're like yeah, Jesus, you know Soon as somebody dies, the urn, and I mean the urn for the tea, you know, one of those big, massive water boilers, they're brought out, sandwiches are made, the dead person's house is cleaned from top to bottom. We have about three different dishes ready for people to come and eat. You know, somebody do a lasagna, tell, you know, Geraldine over there to make that nice stew and uh, I'll do a curry and rice, you know, (laughs) we have everything sorted. For by the time that body comes back, anybody who comes to give their condolences is fed and watered and surely happy. And now there's a such thing as a dry wake and a wet wake. And this is probably due to the tendency of alcoholism in Irish families. Sometimes when there's an old uncle or in, you know, me own personal case, me. (laughs) If I was still drinking you know there's somebody who maybe doesn't handle a drink too well or in general it's it's not a good idea because there's going to be fights if it's a wet wake it means that there's whiskey and beer and wine involved in the house and you know there's the odd possibility of the coffin getting knocked over while two aunts trail the heads of each other (laughs) over who's getting granny's fucking wedding ring (laughs) So, in that case, the family decide it's a dry wake. Don't be bringing any drink. We're just going to have a cup of tea and a sandwich and a good old laugh. And I tell you what, you generally do have the best to crack at wakes because you celebrate the life of the person who's de- died, died, <laughs> and by sharing stories. Do you know what I mean? And the many times that, like, you're at a wake and you hear someone telling you about somebody that you love who's passed away and you never knew that about them or you didn't know that story or that thing that they did that was nice you know it's a good way to share it and you know the way that we talk about wakes is actually quite wistful i suppose i mean but it's a good way of getting through three days we have the body in the house usually it's only three days but nowadays with the crematorium being fucking overworked it can be a bit longer than that but um you know, and in those three days, you go through the whole process, the crying, the, you know, when you have people are to comfort you and the anger and grief and all of that, you know, depending on the circumstances and you have your community comes together to sort of help you pull through. And that's what I mean by with this pandemic, whenever people are denied that grieving process that they're so used to um it can have a negative effect on people's mental health which is a bit deeper than I wanted to go for this episode but it's the truth um, but the thing is that I think afterwards when this lockdown has ended people are going to come together and have a big wet week um, and celebrate the life of the people that they loved that they couldn't send off properly you know um, but she ain't Which is Irish for, that is, this life. And that is this death as well, according to this. But, um... Yeah. Aoife actually told me before that one of her English friends, upon hearing about the Irish wake, asked if she could attend the next person that dies wake. (laughs) Now, she did tactfully put it, not someone who died really tragically, or that you were really, really, you know, attached to, but say some old person can i just go to the wake <laughs> it's apparently it's an experience it's on everyone's bucket list but uh you know maybe your own wake. <laughs> you wouldn't know <laughs> anyways um i think i'm going to have to stop talking now and specifically about death but it's not the end of the world is it uh it might be but it's really not i mean this is all going to and and we'll come out I think it's going to be really lovely when everyone is reunited again and you're actually able to hug one another and you know give each other a pat in the back for doing the right thing and staying the fuck in the house <laughs> okay so I'll go out on this stay at home do whatever makes you happy in the house go on lads I'll see you next week